I'm going to preach now from Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible, um, please do grab it and turn there to Isaiah chapter 7. Um, there's also a link on christchurchfairham.co.uk slash watch online um, below the video. So you can um, right click on that and open a new tab if you want to follow, follow along as I read from the passage that I'm going to read this morning. Um, but as we come to read from Isaiah chapter 7, let me first pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do worship you this morning. We give you the glory and the praise with all that you have created, with the moon and the stars and with kings and with all creation. We praise you for you are worthy of our praise. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the book of Isaiah. And we pray that as we read it and as I preach, you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, come be in our midst and change us for your glory, I pray. I, I pray the message of judgment that we will read this morning would sober us and bring us to trust once again in Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray that is the result of this sermon, that everyone listening would throw themselves once again onto Jesus Christ, would put their faith in Jesus Christ and know that in Jesus there is safety and security and sanctuary from your judgment. Heavenly Father, come do that for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As you read the book of Isaiah, one of the things that becomes obvious quite quickly is that Isaiah the prophet is not afraid to put opposites together next to each other. You read one verse about darkness and the very next verse is about light. You read about mercy and even before the verse is finished, Isaiah is talking also about judgment, judgment and mercy together in one verse. At the beginning of a chapter, Isaiah might start talking about calamity and disaster, but he might end the chapter talking about hope in God and the miraculous. One chapter will be all about comfort, the comfort we can have in God. The next chapter is all about distress and the judgment that comes from God. Isaiah, time and time again, is not afraid to put opposites next to each other in his prophecies. As he speaks, carried along by the Holy Spirit, these, these opposites come next to each other in the text. And that very same thing happens in Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 8. You will remember last week, um, that I preached on the first 16 verses of Isaiah chapter 7. And the message in the first half of Isaiah 7 is a message of hope. King Ahaz and the people of Judah are fearful because Syria has formed an alliance with Israel. And these two kings are seeking to invade Jerusalem. And so the people of Judah are filled with fear. But in Isaiah 7, God gives them a message of hope. He says this alliance of Israel and Syria will not bring about your downfall. But then in verse, in, verses, in verse 17, the tone of the text switches dramatically. First half all about hope. The second half from verse 17 onwards is a message of distress, of darkness and anguish. 
This alliance of Israel and Syria will not bring about your downfall. But God has appointed the Assyrian Empire who will bring judgment upon the land of Judah. Shall we read it? I'm going to read from Isaiah 7 verse 14 all the way through to the end of chapter 8. And um, remember, verse 17 is the switch, the moment where Isaiah switches from prophesying about hope to prophesying about distress and judgment. So Isaiah 7 verse 14 onwards. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. But the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there. For the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. Then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Maher Shalel Hashbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberachiah to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh, that flow gently, and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck and its outspread, outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armour and be shattered. Strap on your armour and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. 
saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offence, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and against their God and turn their faces upward. They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Look at that last verse that I just read to you in Isaiah 8.22. Behold, distress, darkness, the gloom of anguish. They will be thrust into thick darkness. And compare that verse to where we started in chapter 7. Have a look at chapter 7 verse 4 when God said, Be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. The, the contrast in tone between chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 7 is stark. The tone has changed dramatically in the passage that I've just read to you. And so my sermon this morning is entitled, Do Not Fear Coronavirus, Fear God. Do not fear coronavirus, fear God. And the reason my sermon is called that is because Isaiah 7 and 8 is a story of the people of Judah and King Ahaz fearing the wrong thing. This is a story about King Ahaz fearing the wrong thing. You can see this if you have a look at verse 16. In verse 16, it says, Before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. In other words, what verse 16 is saying is, don't fear the alliance between Syria and Israel. You, you dread those two kings, but before this boy grows to the age of 13, those the lands which those two kings rule over will be deserted. You don't dread those people. But now look at verse 17. In verse 17, God says, The Lord will bring upon you and your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the, the, since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And what is the Lord bringing? 
the king of Assyria. In other words, you dread two kings, but you shouldn't dread those two kings because their land's going to be deserted in a very short space of time. However, God is bringing something upon your land which you have not seen for many, many years. He is bringing upon you the king of Assyria. Don't fear Syria and Israel, fear Assyria and the destruction that they will bring. King Ahaz was dreading and fearing the wrong thing in Isaiah chapter 7. And so I want to begin by asking you this question this morning. What do you fear? What have you worried about these last few days? What's the thing that scares you the most? What do you fear this morning? Answer that question quietly to yourself for a moment. Because my intention this morning is through God's word and through this sermon that every Christian would find sanctuary in Jesus Christ and stop fearing such things as coronavirus. We would, we would realise that we do not need to fear the things in this world that do scare us, but rather if we trust in Jesus Christ, we can find security and sanctuary and, and fearlessness in terms of not fearing the world, but only respecting and honouring God. And my attention to you, if you're a non-Christian, is that at the end of this sermon, you would realise that the things you currently fear you have less need to fear those things than something else which is coming, which is much bigger and much scarier. I, I, I intend to try and convince you that there is something that is worth fearing much more than coronavirus, something from which we need to escape from, according to the Bible. So, in Isaiah 7, the big question is, why should King Ahaz and Judah fear the Assyrian invasion and not fear the Israel-Syrian alliance? Why should King Ahaz fear the Assyrian empire and not the Israelite alliance? And the answer to that question is given in chapter 7, verse 18. This is what it says in verse 18. The Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. So in that verse, Egypt is compared to a fly. Assyria is described as a bee. But both Egypt and Assyria are like dogs in that when the Lord whistles, they come running. Why should King Ahaz fear Assyria? Is it because Assyria is a bigger empire than Israel? Is it because Assyria has a bigger empire than the two kings who formed an alliance against Jerusalem? Is that why King Ahaz should fear the empire of Assyria? No, it's not because they have a massive army. It's not because they're a really big empire. The reason King Ahaz should fear Assyria is because it is God who has whistled for them. It is God who has called them. In other words, the empire of Assyria is God's 
appointed means of justice upon the nation of Judah. So King Ahaz shouldn't fear because Assyria has a big army or a greater empire. Rather, he should fear because they come with God. It's God who is sending them. It's God who is whistling for them to come. It's God who is sending them as an instrument of justice. And for that reason alone, their threat is dangerous. Whereas the threat of the Syrian-Israelite alliance is not dangerous. How should we apply this now to our lives today? Well, right now, millions of people around the world are fearing the coronavirus and the impact that virus will have on the world, whether it's taking people's lives, causing people to be sick, ruining economies around the world. Millions of people are fearing the coronavirus and the impact that it will have. But the truth is, there is something far more deadly that those millions of people should fear. The, the thing that is way more deadly than the coronavirus is the judgment of God upon sin. The judgment of God upon sin. In fact, it says in the New Testament, it is Jesus Christ himself who will execute justice at the end of time. It says in Acts 17, verse 31, He, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this by raising that man from the dead. In other words, Jesus Christ will execute judge justice on God the Father's behalf at the end of time. There is a day set in the future when Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead. The Bible teaches that there is a resurrection after death, that every single person will be resurrected after their death here on earth. And they will be resurrected in order to stand before Jesus Christ, who is sat in the judgment seat. All of us, every single one of us listening to this message will be judged by Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 14 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 8, spoke of a day when sinners those who had rejected Christ, those who had not believed in Jesus, would be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation 20 verse 15 says this, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so to each and every one of you listening in this morning, I want you to hear this sobering truth. God's appointed means of justice is a judgment that will take place after death. All sinners, all who have done things wrong, including the hidden things that nobody else has seen, that nobody else even knows about, all those things will be judged. 
and everyone who is found to be a sinner will be thrown into the lake of fire. There is an eternal punishment for sins against the everlasting God. There is an eternal punishment for sins against the everlasting God. There is only one way to escape. By receiving forgiveness from God, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to escape from the judgment of God that will come after death, the eternal punishment, the eternal justice from God. The only way to escape that is by receiving forgiveness by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is why Christians, when they talk about Jesus dying on the cross, when they talk about that day, they call that day Good Friday. And and people who don't understand say, how can you call that day good, the day that Jesus died on the cross? How can that possibly be good? Well, this is the answer. On the cross, Jesus died bearing the penalty and the punishment for sin that we deserved. He bore our punishment for sin upon the cross, which means gloriously and wonderfully and brilliantly that all who believe in Christ, all who trust in him, all who put their faith in him, their sin was carried by Jesus upon the cross and therefore they receive forgiveness for their sins. They do not have to fear the judgment to come at the end of time for Christ has already received the just penalty for the sin that I and you, if you're a Christian, have committed. Instead of a lake of fire, Christians are forgiven. And instead of enduring eternal punishment, they enter into eternal reward. They enter into eternal life. They enter into everlasting paradise with God forever and ever. And that is why I say this morning, do not fear coronavirus, but fear the judgment of God. King Ahaz was fearing the wrong thing. He was fearing Israel and Syria who had formed an alliance, but God had appointed a different means of justice and judgment to come upon the land of Judah. He had appointed the empire of Assyria. And in the same way, there are Christians around the world and some of those Christians are struggling with fear against the coronavirus. And God would say, don't fear the coronavirus, rather fear God himself. Because God's judgment upon sin is far deadlier than the coronavirus. Coronavirus may end your physical life here on earth, but God's judgment upon sin has eternal consequences. will lead you to eternal death if you do not trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. The devastation described in the rest of chapter 7, the devastation that Assyria will bring upon the nation of Judah is emphatic. In verse 20, invasion is described as a razor that will easily slice through the hair. 
In verses 21 to 22, an abundance of milk is described. And the first time you read that, you think it sounds like a good thing. Oh, there'll be curds and honey in the land until you realise this. The reason why there's an abundance of milk, the reason why one man can have a cow and two sheep is because so many people have died, whereas the livestock has been left alive. There's an abundance of milk because loads of livestock have survived, but thousands of people have died in the Assyrian invasion. In verses 23 to 25, Isaiah describes the places where people used to work and farm have been overrun by briars and thorns because there's no people left to farm those places. The destruction described in those verses is emphatic. And yet, the destruction and pain described in the New Testament of those people who do not trust in Christ for forgiveness, of those people who endure the eternal punishment of God for sin, is far, far worse. Far, far worse. Do not fear coronavirus. Fear the judgment of God. In chapter 8, Isaiah's son, Meher Shalal Hashbaz, is born. And his birth is firstly a sign that Syria and Israel's alliance will fail. But his birth is also a sign of the growing Assyrian threat. You can see that in verse 4. It says, The wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria, i.e. Syria and Israel, will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Israel and Syria will not be a threat to you because they will be invaded and the riches of that land will be carried away by the Assyrian empire, the same empire that is coming to bring judgment on the land of Judah. And so Mahershalal Hashbaz's birth, which we spoke of last week as this sign of hope, this sign that Israel and Syria will be defeated, also becomes a sign of dread and judgment that Assyria is coming and the land of Judah will not stand in the face of the Assyrian Empire. And so the, the tone, I hope you're seeing this, the tone of the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8 is, is full of distress and darkness and difficulty. This is a message of judgment, just as this sermon is a message of judgment upon sin. The, the tone is very, very sombre. From the rest of Isaiah chapter 8, I want to answer two very important questions. The first is, why is God bringing such punishment upon Judah? That's the first question. Why is God bringing such punishment upon Judah? And the second question is, how should believers live in light of this sobering message of judgment? So firstly, why is God punishing Judah with the invasion of Assyria? What sin did the people of Judah commit? What did they do to bring about this judgment upon their land? And you can find the answer to that question in verse 6. Have a look at it. This is what it says in verse 6. 
because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Remaliah. Do you remember last week? Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, who is the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, were described as smouldering stumps of firebrands last week at the beginning of chapter 7. They're smouldering stumps of firebrands. And God says here that one way to put that fire out was with the gentle waters of Shiloh. But the people of Judah and King Ahaz refused that method. Verse 6, this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently. So this is the sin that the people of Judah have committed. They have refused the waters of Shiloh. What does that mean? Well, the waters of Shiloh was a small brook with a natural spring, a natural source of water that was close to Jerusalem. And this brook flowed into the pool of Siloam, which is described in John's Gospel in chapter 5. And so the city of Jerusalem had this wonderful spring of water that flowed into the city, into this pool, ever refreshing, wonderful water. And you really do feel this idea of the brook gently running past the city of Jerusalem and through its streets into this pool. God is using that brook and that stream of water as a metaphor for himself. I love that. He's describing himself as the gentle brook. He's describing himself as the waters of Shiloh. I love that. I've spoken this morning of God as judge, the one who judges sin. But for all who receive Jesus, for all who put their trust in Jesus Christ, they receive forgiveness for their sin. So they need not fear the judgment to come. But they also receive a spirit of adoption. They're adopted into God's family. And so all Christians who have had put their faith in Jesus Christ describe God as Father. When we pray, we say Heavenly Father. And I tell you the truth, God, who is um, a judge and will judge the sins of the world, is also a gentle Father. He is truly like this gentle brook. And as Christians, we can run to him and, and receive from him in all his gentleness. So I love, I love the idea that God's describing himself as the waters of Shiloh. I, I pray today you would enter into the gentleness of God, of communion with God the Father. He is your Father in heaven. He loves you. He cares for you. He treats his sons and daughters with true gentleness, like the waters of Shiloh. But Ahaz and Judah rejected the waters of Shiloh. And as a consequence, in verse 7, of rejecting the waters of Shiloh, they have to deal with this mighty river of Euphrates, the Assyrian Empire, coming into their land and invading. And while the waters of Shiloh is gentle, they would have gently, God would have gently put out the, the burning firebrands of the threat against Judah. The Assyrian Empire is powerful and mighty and crushes and rises up over and above all it seeks, all the fires it puts out. Ahaz and Judah are guilty of the sin of rejecting God's help in favour of choosing their own way. 
This is why the Assyrians will bring justice upon them, because they have rejected God's help in favour of choosing their own way. My instinct this morning is that millions of people around the world make the same mistake. They refuse God's help in favour of choosing their own way. They live ignorantly of God. They, full of pride, choose independence and believe that they can make their own lives better. They, they believe that they can go their own way and it will all work out for them. They believe that they're captains of their own fate. Rather than asking God for help, they rely on their own strength. I say to you again, because I need to emphasise this, I don't want you to to go away from, from being a part of this service not knowing this. If you refuse God's help, you will suffer God's judgment. God, in his love for us, has provided his son in order that all who would accept that help, all who would believe in Christ can be forgiven their sin and have eternal life. And therefore, all who refuse that help, who ignore God, who do not believe in Jesus Christ, will suffer God's judgment upon sin, which I have already described as far more deadly and destructive than the coronavirus. If you refuse God's help, you will suffer God's judgment. But if you receive God's help by trusting in Christ, you will enter into eternal life. Christians, I want to ask you a question. At this time, are you floating in the gentle waters of Shiloh by seeking God's help in faith and prayer? You know, during this time of isolation, of, of distancing ourselves from others in order to not spread the coronavirus, we, we can feel that what we do is severely limited. It is. We are severely limited on what we can and can't do. But I believe that limitation is a blessing because during this time we can devote ourselves to prayer, knowing God is faithful to help us. While we're out and about and doing all these things and, and going out of the house, going to work, commuting for work and commuting back, there's all these distractions, all these things we spend our time doing. Well, now God has blessed us with additional time and I hope we would use that time to prayer, to pray. Prayer is such a wonderful blessing that God has given us and, and, and prayer is a statement that we need God's help. If you don't pray, you're saying, I can do life by myself. I don't need him. I don't need his help. But if you do pray, you're pressing into God and saying, I need you. Would you come help me now? Ask yourself this morning, Am I one who acts without prayer? Am I someone who lives like I don't need God's help? Or am I someone who prays, seeks God's help, and then acts, acting out of communion and relationship with God rather than separated from prayer? I, I, would, I want us to be a people who pray, who, who know deep in our hearts that we need God's help in everything that we do, and so praise often and then acts from prayer rather than acting without prayer. 
Let me answer my final question then. The Assyrian Empire is coming against Judah because they have refused God's help and instead tried to go their own way and therefore judgment is coming. And the big question is, how should godly people act in response to this message about judgment? What should Isaiah do as he waits for the Assyrians to come? What should we do in the knowledge that there is a judgment to come in this circumstance, in this time, in this age? I want to answer that question by looking at verses 11 to 15 in particular. In verse 11, Isaiah prophesies and God says, firstly, do not walk in the way of this people. If you are a Christian this morning, do not walk in the way of the ungodly. Do not fall into sin in this time. Stay faithful to God's commands. And especially, make sure you do not walk in the way of ungodly people by rejecting and refusing God's help. Pray often this simple prayer, God, help me. God, help us. That's what we should be praying in this coronavirus situation. Lord, help us. Our world is in disarray, and yet we know an even greater judgment is coming. Lord, help us. Lord, help me live in light of that truth. Let's not walk in the way of people who refuse God's help. Let's walk in the way of godly people who trust in God's help. That's the first thing we should do in this season. The second thing we should do is found in verse 13, where it says, Honour the Lord of hosts as holy. Fear and respect God alone. I think it's really, really important that as Christians, we find time away from the news. And I tell you, if you're spending all day just watching the news and hearing about coronavirus, that, that all of that information may well feed your fear so that your fear is growing for coronavirus. Instead, I think it's very, very important that we find time away from screens, away from the news, and worship and honour God. Feed ourselves not with news of coronavirus, but feed ourselves with the truth of the power and the love and the glory and the majesty of God. Are you honouring the Lord of hosts as holy? Are you bowing before him? Sometimes I find it helpful to physically bow when I pray before God as a, as a symbol of respect and reverence of him, for he is holy. He is holy, holy, holy. He is glorious in might. He is the creator. I am merely one who is created. He is God. I am mere mortal. It is right that we humble ourselves before him and honour and reverence God. Are you doing that during this time? As you pray for help, are you also worshipping him and lifting him up and reverencing him, giving him the respect that he is worthy of? So do not walk in the way of sinners. Honour the Lord of hosts as holy. And thirdly and finally from verse 14, let God be your sanctuary. Let God be your sanctuary. In fact, let's be even more specific and say this. Let Jesus Christ be your sanctuary. You know, in this time of coronavirus, our homes, in, in some sense, are our sanctuary. If we stay indoors and don't have contact with anyone, then we won't 
contract the disease of coronavirus. Our home becomes a sanctuary, becomes a safe place where we can stay. Well, in the same way, if you want to run from the judgment of God that is coming upon sin, the only place you can find safety, the only place you can take sanctuary is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ described in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and throughout this book, he is warm, he is kind, he is compassionate, he is the great miracle worker. Jesus Christ is love. He loved you so much. He died on the cross for your sins. He took your punishment for sin upon himself in love. He died on the cross for the joy that was set before him that you, you and me, might enter into his kingdom, enter into his family. And that brings him such joy. Jesus Christ is love. He's not only love and the one who died on the cross. He's also victorious. He is the one who defeated death. Death could not hold him. He rose from the grave on the third day on Easter Sunday. He is the one who now reigns gloriously in heaven, seated on the throne. He is Lord of all heaven and earth. He is a safe place to run to. He is a willing saviour. He is a glorious Lord. He is the one we go to in this time over and over again. When we think of the God's judgment upon sin that's coming in the future, we go to Christ and we throw ourselves upon his love once more and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Thank you that you died for me on the cross. Thank you that you rose again in glory. I trust you. I have faith in you. Carry me, hold me, protect me from God's judgment. For in you, there is safety and there's love and there's joy and there's peace. I, I tell you, based on verse uh, Isaiah 8, verse 14, how you respond to Christ is all important. That is what truly matters. Those who fear God will run to Jesus Christ and find in him sanctuary. He, they will find Jesus Christ to be the rock of sanctuary. And you can stand upon Christ by trusting him. And the storms and the waves will not reach you. Though the waters rise, though things get tricky and circumstances get difficult, upon the rock of Christ you will stand safe and secure forever and ever into eternity. Those who fear God will find Jesus Christ to be the rock of sanctuary. But others will find Jesus offensive. Others will find him to be a rock of offence and a stone of stumbling. Even now, there are probably people listening to this message who say, Duncan, this sermon is offensive. You've described me as a sinner. You've described me as a sinner who will face eternal judgment from God because of the things I have done wrong. That is an offensive message. And you're right. To a human, it is offensive. I preach it because it's in the Bible and I believe it to be true. And the message of the Bible is loudly and clearly, you need a saviour. You need to be saved. And the only way to be saved is by Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And that message is offensive to some. Some people hear about Jesus Christ and they find it offensive. And they stum instead of standing upon the rock of sanctuary, they stumble over the stone of stumbling. I pray for you listening, you would be in the former category of people who stand on Jesus Christ, who trust in him, who see his love and power and find sanctuary, rather than the second group of people who stumble over him and receive God's judgment at the end of time. How you respond to Jesus is what truly 
matters. And during this time of self-isolation, I urge each and every one of you to go to Christ all the time. Go to him over and over and over again. Confess your sins to him and receive his mercy. Trust him through all circumstances. Remember his love. Remember his power. And remember in the all-loving, all-powerful Jesus whom we love and serve, we have sanctuary through all of Storm's lives. Do not fear coronavirus, but fear God. Find sanctuary in Christ. Do not walk in sinful ways during this time, but honour God as holy and run to Jesus. Enter into the sanctuary of Jesus Christ. He is a good Lord and he is the only saviour. He is the only one who can rescue you from God's judgment. And so spend your life, spend your time residing in the peace and security and sanctuary found in trusting Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us all. God, who is our judge. In Isaiah chapter 7 and in Isaiah chapter 8, we find a sobering message of judgment upon the land of Judah that did come to pass. You did bring about justice in the land of Judah upon King Ahaz and upon his people. Lord, I pray we would learn from that message and know that what you say about judgment in the Bible is true. That after death there is a resurrection and all will stand before Jesus Christ as judge and he will judge between the living and the dead. Those who have found sanctuary in Christ, who have trusted in him, will receive forgiveness and eternal life. But those who reject Christ, who stumble over him, who ignore Christ, will receive punishment for their sins. Lord, I pray now by your Holy Spirit, would you change hearts so that if there are any who have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, may you change their perspective now by the Holy Spirit. May they come to believe in Jesus and stand upon the rock of sanctuary that we have in Christ. And we thank you for this glorious provision of sanctuary that you have given us in Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you that in the storms of life, we can stand upon the rock of Christ and not drown, but be safe and secure. And I pray for peace in each of our hearts that we would know that. I pray you would keep us from sinning, Lord God. I pray we would not walk in the way that sinners take during this time. And I pray we'd find lots of time. In fact, we'd use all our time to honour you as holy, to, to give you the worship that you are worthy of, Lord God. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Saviour. We are so grateful and we long to worship him in all that we do from, from this point onwards. Help us, Holy Spirit, to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.